Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of MA Architects Make It Innovative, featuring deep dive discussions on the world of innovation as it relates to the built environment. I am Mark Bryan, the Director of Innovation and Research for MA Architects and our in-house certified futurist as well. On this episode, we're going to be talking about something that's probably familiar, maybe a little bit unfamiliar, maybe something you've never really thought about before. It's going to be the spaces between those liminal spaces and how they affect our daily lives. I like that intro. It really covered everybody. Everybody. You might be familiar, you might not, and you might be somewhere in the middle. But regardless, I think we need to start this off by having Benny play The Space Between by Dave Matthews. Okay, I, I think that is something that was going to resonate with everyone as we talk about this concept of liminality and liminal spaces. So liminality is this idea in general. Liminal spaces, of course, is how it applies more to the built environment. But to keep it short and sweet, it is the space between. What does that mean? I'll tell you after I properly introduce myself as Mark is looking at me for when will that happen. I'm Sam Moeller, you guys. Very excited clearly about this topic. I'm the Director of Strategic Communications at MA and a guru on all things human behavior, well-being, and mental health. Many people view the space between things, life events, moments in time, and right now quite possibly the greatest space in between as we shift from life pre-pandemic to life post-pandemic as a time that has a huge impact on our mental well-being and the communities that we form. So I'm really excited to talk about this because, like we said, it is such a timely thing right now as we are in this in-between transitioning out of life pre-pandemic, moving into life post-pandemic. We still find ourselves in the space between or in this liminal time. And as I sit here, I'm 32 weeks pregnant, which is a really easy example of liminality. So when a woman is pregnant, that's that transition period. They're not yet a mother, but they're not in that life pre-motherhood. They're at this space in between. So that is a really easy way to digest and understand this concept of liminality, which is what we are going to be talking about today. And with us today to talk about that is one of my favorite humans on this entire planet. Talk about hype, Kelly Eink, the one and only. She's an associate and senior interior designer here at MA, and she's a master of all things workplace and change management. Kelly brings a fresh perspective and creative solution to our interior design team with broad expertise spanning multiple market sectors, including, like I said, workplace, multifamily, and healthcare interior design. She approaches projects with equal attention given to large-scale concepts as well as unique details, selecting finishes that distinguish the environmental brand of each and every individual client. Personally, her passion stems from being able to create environments that increase functionality and comfort for user groups. And right now, she's working with some really big-name clients on workplace and what that looks like for workspace of the future and how they can activate liminal spaces within the built environment to best serve their organizational goals. Welcome, Kelly, to our show. Hi, thank you for having me. Do you feel hyped up now? So pumped. We're so (laughs) ready for you. But before we start talking about liminality and liminal spaces, we want to let our listeners in a little bit on you personally. Are you ready? I'm ready, yeah. If you had a spontaneous day off, what is the first thing you would do? First, I would go to brunch with my husband. Love it. (laughs) Um, And then we would try to find our way to some body of water, um, just spend time on a boat, just being outside. Yeah, for those of you not in the room, so that's everybody, we have this lovely picture of water cascading over, you know, some kind of tropical beach, and that's where I want to be, too. So I would be right there with you on the water. (laughs) 
we're really doing some creative visualization by philic elements to get that nature vibe in here. You know, we're very <laughs> calm in here, calm and energized to talk about liminality with Kelly. <laughs> and the lighting's just right, too. It's perfect. Kelly, if you could put three things into a time capsule to be opened in 20 years, what would they be and why? So what's funny about that is I actually created a time capsule when I was, let me think, probably eight or nine years old. And the big thing that I was thinking, I specifically remember this, was I cannot believe that anytime I will look at fashion and design right now and think that this looks outdated. And so I clipped all these pictures from magazines and I put them in a glass jar and I buried them in our yard and I was just even as a child, I was like so fascinated by the ideas of trends and things going in and out of style. Um, unfortunately, it got waterlogged and all the pages got. Oh, no. <laughs> but I, I think still today I would try to capture some of the design work and really what's like the hot topics now um, because I think it's so interesting to look back on that. Um, so that really sparked a memory for me. And then I would just bottle up um, all of the good memories um, of my son. He's 18 months old right now. Maybe a piece of his clothes so I could look back at it and say, I can't believe you were that small. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the smell maybe a little bit. Just yeah. the smell. Mm-hmm. Trigger that part of the brain. Mm-hmm. So sweet. Last question. Best way to decompress? Exercise is definitely one. Um, and if not, exercising, being outdoors. Um getting my hands dirty in the garden just that golden hour time in the evening where things are really calm at the end of the day I to me it's so relaxing to be outside whether it's sitting on a patio having a conversation with my husband or getting my hands dirty doing yard work um so those are my go-to's that's amazing. Even the way you said it felt really relaxing to hear. <laughs> well, I know. I pictured it in my head and I was there. I was like, yes, I am there. Especially these summer days, you know, where we get into like the evening time when it's like eight or nine o'clock and the sun has started to set a little bit and the temperature has finally cooled down a little bit just to sit out on a swing, see some fireflies, which are my favorite thing in the summer, by the way. I know. Man, I'm like sitting on this couch with the ultimate storytellers in design and I'm like <laughs> just envisioning all of this. It's amazing. Uh, that is so great. Thanks for sharing that little bit about you personally and really excited to dive in today's conversation. Starting with putting Mark on the spot. Uh-oh. Mark, I know we talked about a little bit. Hopefully that Dave Matthews resonated a lot a bit. But can you tell everybody what is liminality? Absolutely, I can. So liminality is a state of transition between one stage and the next, especially between major stages in one's life or during a rite of passage. And that is the literal definition when you look at it from a cultural standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, and from an anthropological standpoint. And really, this concept of liminality was first developed and is used most often in the science of anthropology, which is the study of human origins, behavior, and culture. Um, In a general sense, liminality is an in-between period marked by a time of uncertainty. So just think about any time of your life when you've been going from one point to the next, and there's a little bit of haziness, a little bit of confusion in between what might be coming next, similar to what you shared, Sam, about being pregnant and uncertain of what's coming down the path once you have your child. The other one that some people might be familiar with would be graduations. We talked about it a little bit before the podcast is how 
College is a huge liminal point in our lives where we are literally going from being with our parents and having a lot of us uh, shepherded and guided to that point, and then we're we're off on our own. There's a lot of independence that comes, where there's a lot of learning that happens, and it's often very confusing, chaotic, a lot of fun, hopefully. But you know, you get through college, and then another liminal point that happens right after that is when you have graduated, but you're not yet part of the workforce. You're you're in that in-between stage of trying to find a job, trying to get into the workforce. All of those are liminal spaces. And it's really important for us to think about what those liminal spaces mean because they're guideposts for our lives. If you think about it, liminality is like having a train track. And the liminal moments are the train stations along the way. So without those train stations, we'd have no idea where to hop on, hop off, and it gets very confusing about where we're going to our destination. I love that. I think it's really interesting that you use the word destination because as you were describing that, I was thinking it's like that idea that it's not the destination, it's the journey, Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. the chance that you have to learn, and that's the chance that you have to really grow, and a lot of people, and I find myself doing this too, I just want the baby to be here already, or I just want to have that job already, or I just want to be settled into my new house already, and instead of thinking about all the things that the opportunities and the obstacles that are meant to be opportunities along the way in that liminal space. So I think today's episode is really going to resonate with anybody that's going through a change, right? Because it's not necessarily, and liminality knows no scale. So it can be something as small as you've moved houses within the same city, or it could be something as big as, you know, you're redesigning an entire workplace and you don't know what workplace of the future looks like for your organization yet, you know, and it can have so many different applications, but anybody that's finding themselves right now in this in-between phase where they're in a new relationship or they're trying a new job or they're, you know, adjusting to life after being sheltering in place and in in a COVID quarantine for the last year and a half, you know, what does that look like to rewild essentially, you know? So we are all in some way, shape or form in a liminal period in our lives. And instead of trying to rush up and get to that destination, I think, I hope today's episode will help people understand the power of the journey and those opportunities along the way. 2021 is the literal definition of a liminal space because we all went through the pandemic in 2020 and we're now in this weird point in our lives of trying to figure out what's next. How do we pivot going forward from here? What I, what I think too is really interesting, as you're saying, as we are rewilding and reemerging in life post pandemic, as we finalize this liminal period is the opportunities we have, but how we have to take that opportunity to use that experience to propel forward. It's going to be a new version of a life that any of us have ever lived. And maybe, you know, in Kelly's application, that's what the workplace looks like. It's something you've never experienced before. Or maybe you started that new job or taken that new risk, or you just look at things differently because of social injustice issues that have happened over the last year. But it's going to be more uncomfortable because it's unfamiliar. You know, it's very easy to revert back to the way we've always done things because that's something we've known. That's a way of life that we've already lived. It doesn't mean it's the right thing. You know, it's not always the right thing that's the easiest. And so I think if we take advantage of this liminal period, we're going to move forward in a way that might feel a little uncomfortable at first, but that discomfort is a sign of growth. And so I think that's a really, really energizing and inspiring thing to think about as we start this conversation. I agree. I agree. You know, um, you, you mentioned people who might be in liminal spaces. It doesn't, it's not comfortable for a lot of people. A lot of liminal spaces actually create anxiety. And that's one of the things that I think can be The built environment can help. But before we get down that road, maybe let's just think about the built environment a little bit. Let's bring Kelly into our conversation. Absolutely. So Kelly, putting you on the spot now, as a fellow designer, you know, I know that we deal with a lot of different types of space. And we think about what happens 
in between and we think about how to put them all together. But maybe could you think of some examples of what liminal spaces in the built-up environment might be and share that with our listeners? Yeah. So the in-between spaces, I think it's really interesting because from a design standpoint, oftentimes they're the spaces that get looked over. Um, it's not important. It's not the big grand cafe. It's not the open office environment. It's the space that connects between. So spaces like corridors and stairways, um, elevator lobbies, um, any kind of waiting spaces. I mean, waiting is the definition of liminality. Um, water stations, snack stations, restrooms, um, the in-between spaces, maybe a phone room or a mother's room to just um, take a quick phone call. Um, but I, there is so much potential within these spaces because it's when you're really, when you have an opportunity to make a connection point with your employees, with visitors in the space, with maybe potential customers who are coming in. Um, because like you said, it's a chance to shape your behavior or your attitude as you're transitioning from, um, coming in from your car or wherever you're coming off the street, um, to that meeting room. You know, how many of us feel nervous? Maybe maybe it's a new employee coming in for an interview with HR. And just those feelings of nervousness and um, questioning, like, is this the right choice or not? But when you enter into the lobby, if you're greeted in the right way, there is immense possibility in setting the stage and making your guests feel comfortable and um, educating them maybe in indirect ways about who you are as a company um, through the artwork, through the branding, um, through the architectural elements. Um, so it's the spaces I feel that are often forgot about, but really, really hold a lot of potential from a design standpoint. I would agree. You know, we talked about anxiety. Um, so you mentioned people coming in for their first day of, of the job and they're sitting in the lobby space and they're waiting. That's a liminal space. So you talked about uh, the spaces in between. And I think what you said is a perfect example, the lobby space. You have an employee who's coming in for their first day, or maybe you have a gig worker who's coming in. Sam knows I love the gig worker <laughs> who needs some training and they're sitting in a space that's unfamiliar to them. That unfamiliarity breeds anxiety. And that's what we want to avoid in the office, right? We want people mm-hmm. to feel comfortable and familiar. So what might be some ways that we start to make people feel more familiar or more comfortable in these liminal spaces? Well, the obvious answer and the big one right off the bat, I think, is your brand and artwork in the space. But it is every aspect of the architectural design. It's the lighting. It's the furniture that you choose. Um, A huge trend pre-pandemic, and I think the pandemic has only accelerated it, is the desire for more residential feeling spaces in the office environment. And a big part of that is because we've been working from home. It's been so nice to sit on the couch. for an ad hoc meeting that you need to take on Zoom or to have access to your kitchen easily um, and just the feeling of comfort that that provides. So I think that we will see that even more moving forward. And it's a great way to make people feel comfortable and make that first impression. Um, And beyond architectural elements, really thinking about how the space is appointed through a receptionist as a person with a smiling face behind the desk and where the desk sits. What is the first thing that you see when you enter into the space? It's all types of things, but from a design standpoint, and we like to start our conversations with our clients this way, especially when we're doing visioning, is understanding the emotion that you want to evoke, the behaviors that you want to promote in the space, because there is so much about the way that we design the space that can actually encourage 
those behaviors and that emotional response. So it's really getting down to that. Um, we actually were working um, on a new spa space. Um, it'll be opening up in Bridge Park here soon. And um, the doctor is just brilliant and she had all kinds of great ideas. And one of those was really a focus on the transition from the lobby to um, the treatment rooms. And it was about creating a sense of mystery. She wanted something that drew you back into the space. And the lighting was really dramatic and moody. And it was about preparing you and um, kind of the ritual of actually making your way back to the treatment. And I, I just find that to be so fascinating. And that really, truly is the intersection of psychology and behavior and space. And I think it's an example of maximizing how your space creates an experience for users. And demonstrates the power of design. Because how you guys are designing these spaces really impacts how people are experiencing them. You know, and to your point, from a behavioral psychology perspective, it really dictates the emotions that are evoked. You know, and, and there's a lot more control over that than I think people realize. It's not just open for interpretation if it's done properly. I think you really guide what that experience is. I think it's interesting, too, Mark and the innovation and research team did a survey with over 400 respondents nationwide from 26 different states and all the major metro hubs. And that liminal period in the workday is what 75% people miss the most about going to the office. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things. And so that was the commute, which sounds funny because who would have ever thought we would be missing the commute, but it's that transition. So it's not the hallway, but it's the drive, the 10 minute, 15 minute drive to the office and then back home is a liminal period. It's that transition, the space in between the office and home, the home and the office. And it gives you a moment to kind of get your mind right and get your head, you know, adjusted because I think you're right. You know, there's a lot of um, luxuries and conveniences when you're working from home, but it's also really easy to get off of a Zoom call and still almost be in your work mode and speak to your spouse like they are an employee, I've heard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> first-hand research <laughs> um, I bet people have told me but, but you know for my husband he's really introverted and more left brain and he when he's finished with work he's still kind of in his head so much that he needs 20 minutes of me not talking to him which is a feat in itself but where he <laughs> uses that as a liminal period and he noticed that he had to set that boundary but normally we would have that time so in saying all of this, I'm curious what you think liminality, the power liminality serves in the workplace and why it's so powerful, especially in the workplace. Okay, I have a great example. And it comes from a workplace project that we're in design on right now. And our whole concept as we were laying out the space, there is a major traffic corridor like the main thoroughfare through the space from the elevator bank, from the cafe, um, at the core of the building. And we strategically placed the open office against the glass, um, all the natural light, but that we needed a buffer between that space for noise, for distraction, for many things, just to create the optimal open office experience for their employees. And so the corridor is divided with um, a small bank of offices. And we have these pass-throughs between um, the offices that you walk through to get back to the open office space. And we talked a lot about that transition and how it was actually a design opportunity and an opportunity to create the behavior that they're looking for, which is that conversations happen in active energy zones, the corridor where you see people, um, where we've got high top tables, where there's very clearly this um, 
collaboration energy. But when you pass through this portal, this passageway, we intentionally lowered the ceilings. Interesting. We, it's painted their brand color. Um, and there's this very clear threshold between active and quiet heads down workspaces. And it was our way to help promote um, what everybody asks for, which is less distractions in the open office space, some etiquette. You know, it's not putting a sign up on the wall that says, please be quiet, be mindful of others, but actually using the architectural elements to signal that behavior change. Um, And I guess as it pertains to liminality, that transition between high energy to quiet heads down space. So interesting. That example is so fascinating to me. And it, as you're describing that from a design perspective, which is obviously your area of expertise, I'm thinking from a mental perspective and a behavioral psychology perspective, how interesting that it's literally rewiring your neurological pathways to prepare for what is next. It almost is the reverse of uh, like a football stadium. You know, I'm yeah. an avid sports fan. But uh, <laughs> when... <laughs> That tunnel, I'm sure people are listening cringing, the tunnel where people go from the locker room onto the field and they get all hyped up and they're running out, they're shooting out onto the field. And exactly, you know, vice versa of what you were speaking, it's actually from lower energy to that higher energy. But it's that transition, that liminal tunnel is literally the space that they're hyping themselves up and mentally transitioning. So it is really interesting. Mark definitely has something to say, too. Well, I mean, I think Kelly hit the nail on the head. You know, I think corridors are an, a prime opportunity, especially because of the pandemic, because uh, we're going to be all up and about more. You know, as more people are working, maybe uh, free address or choice-based work, um, as people are working from home and coming into the office, I think being cognizant of those transition periods yeah. is is essential. And it just reminds me of the Frank Lloyd Wright principle, right? Yes. The compression release. That's one of those classic ones that we always learn in college where, uh, you know, frankly, right, like to compress down, bringing the ceiling down on top of you. And then you'd walk into a wide open tall space. And there's this sense of joy that you get walking into that sense of of new space. And there's that sense of newness that comes into it. So it's that literal break of personality of where you were mentally before versus mentally afterwards. And so I think um, those type of spaces that are reset spaces are an opportunity. The other thing that I think is interesting that we've been talking about a little bit is just how Liminal spaces are, yes, meant for the individual, but they're also meant for more than one person. They're meant for a community, too. And so I don't know, do you think, Kelly, that there's any um, community or communal um, liminal spaces that we can be aware of for the office that we can be thinking about for the office of the future? Yeah, definitely, because so many of the breakthrough conversations that you have or great ideas come from casual collisions and meeting others in impromptu ways. And we have heard so often that one of the big drivers and requests for coming back to the office is because I just can't have those via Zoom. It's too scheduled. It can't be ad hoc. Um, It's the water cooler effect. And I think by, for example, carving nooks in corridors, um, a place that you can go to the side and have a conversation, or strategically placing um, a connecting stair in um, a multiple level office space um, so that you are creating these opportunities for interaction and bumping into others, I think especially that you don't see on a regular basis that are outside of your network. That takes the office experience from just the place where I do work to being in my physical environment now actually helps me do my job better. And as workplace designers, that's what we're looking for 
at, you know, that's our, that's our goal. And so many of our clients now more than ever with a new perspective on the work environment and what value does it really hold, knowing that we can all work from home, that is um, really something that we drive towards. How can we bring people together in ad hoc ways? I agree. We uh, just finished a workplace survey with a group of over 200 individuals. And the thing that they said, you know, what could they have done differently in the pandemic to make them feel more connected to the office is they said, see people outside of my team. Because people saw everybody on their Zoom calls, that they so they got familiar with those people, but they didn't know what was happening outside of that. And so they felt very... Um, it was a nebulous stage for them to be able to say, you know, I feel connected to the company or I feel engaged because all they saw were those people. So I love the idea of those collision points, those water cooler conversations, bringing communities together. And I think especially in a time where the notion of diverse perspectives is on the forefront of every conversation, I think we have to get really honest with ourselves. So that means talking to and seeing people beyond your bubble on a regular basis. And that means um, being in areas where you have access to different departments, different organizations, um, the whole breadth of what it what it takes to bring your business um, to life. Oh, you're speaking my language. That's I where innovation this. lies, is finding stuff outside of your bubble. Mm-hmm. I love this. I want to play a game with you, Kelly. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> I love games. I put her no on the hesitation. spot. I didn't know where that and was going to go. And I love surprises. <laughs> Excellent. Then you're in the right place. What we're going to do, I'm going to say a space. Give an example of a space that anybody listening is familiar with within an uh, environment. And you're going to tell me if it was activated successfully, how liminality would serve this space. So if you were looking, corridor I feel like we've really covered. So we'll use that as as an example to introduce you to the game. Uh, If you were looking at a corridor and the power of liminality was successfully activated in that space – we know now that it would be an, an opportunity to collide for those casual collisions. It'd be an opportunity to also share the jur- the story of the organization. Maybe you have branding on the wall, experiential graphics that you know share the the history or something like that. So I'm going to give you a couple different ones, and you tell me if activated successfully, this is what how liminality would serve these spaces. Okay, let's talk about open meeting spaces. What would be some ways that you're using those as a liminal space and it's successful. Positioning them correctly is key because open meeting spaces don't work well next to heads down spaces. You know, we kind of talked about that earlier. And a part of that is encouraging people that you can come here and have a conversation. So tables at a standing height for perching, it's a quick conversation where between, um, it's not sitting, it's standing. And then something to create a little bit of intimacy in the space, a change in light levels, a drop in ceiling height, maybe a change in the flooring pattern. There's a bit of a threshold there, um, but it's quick. It's not sitting down. It's on, it's on the go. Um, yeah, that, that would be my recipe. Um, okay, very, very interesting. What about stairwells? Stairwells get such a bad rap, especially fire stairs, because traditionally when you open that door, what you expect is creepy, dingy, probably bare concrete floors, dim lighting. So I think one of the best things that you can do is to activate that space through well-lit, maybe something colorful, you know, we have actually, we see this as an opportunity for design um, 
very frequently because it's the circulation and the transition from one floor to another. And, you know, especially now through wellness programs, as the stairs are being promoted, um, you know, to get your steps in throughout the day. So I really think it's a key area for branding as well. You know, we've done timelines at the stairs. We've done huge graphics that um, tie to the brand of a community and make you feel at home. So I think in stairwells, it's really about um, just punching it up and, and making it feel inviting um, and then maybe you'll choose to take the stair with your girlfriend when you're walking upstairs instead of the elevator. Um, and that really becomes an area where you feel comfortable and it's preparing you for the next step. That's so interesting. A while back when you first introduced liminality to me in liminal spaces, you shared the example that someone could be walking from a meeting to a presentation and it's only five minutes in between their meeting wrapping and them having to go do this huge presentation. So it might just be that time of them going from the first floor to the second floor. And if you could make that experience one that is, you know, energizing or inspiring versus to your point, just like a dingy concrete staircase, that could have such an impact on their mental health, but also on their neurological pathways and their brain state so that they could go into that next step. Right. You know, having had almost this refreshing experience versus just moving from one place to the next. And on the reverse, a monumental staircase, you know, something that's really showcased in the middle of the space as you're drawn to it. You know, and there's something about the procession of going up the stairs and then what meets you at the top of the staircase. And so I think it's not only about that transition and maybe at the top of the staircase is um, the boardroom. And you know that some of the biggest, most important meetings happen in there. And so it's about preparing your guests and preparing your employees and kind of setting the stage and and signaling that, um, you know, there is something really important that lies beyond the staircase and it's just crafting that emotional response. Oh, I love that. All right, last one and then we can talk about other things too. But cafes, I think, is an interesting area to think about. Oh, so much opportunity there. And, you know, we hardly have a workplace project where that is not a major focus of her design efforts and really something that the organization looks to um, for not only in between between times um, but also major events but I think just looking at it from the perspective of liminality it's where the water cooler um, is and really thinking about setting up those spaces with a variety of seat types and rather than a sea of tables similar to a cafeteria you know, every table the same, all the chairs the same. It's about um, carving some spaces with some privacy so you can, um, if you've got 15 minutes between a meeting, you can um, duck into one and um, get a couple emails knocked out or take a quick phone call. Or um, as you're passing through the space, you know, really thinking about the organization of your kitchen appliances or equipment um, so that if you've got five minutes to come in, grab something from the fridge and go, you know, you're really thinking about um, your path and your experience there too. I love that. You wrote a blog actually about liminal spaces. I did. A few months ago. Does this make me an expert? It it does. It does actually. Yes. (laughs) This is the liminal expert of all. You guys, you've heard it here first. You're best in the world. It's like those pizza places, best pizza in the world. Whoever voted for them, same people voted for Kelly as the expert of liminality. But one excerpt I think really kind of brings this game home that I appreciate your your goodwill in participating. 
this is something that you had written. It is in these spaces goals will be set, ideas will be developed, culture will be created, and leaders will be made. If done well, these liminal spaces will cue those in the space to slow down and look around, promoting mindfulness and creating connection. So I think it's such an interesting, powerful, underlooked and underserved idea in design and in life. Like we said, you know, it's not the destination, it's the journey. So it's really cool to make people slow down and absorb and ideate and all of those things. Yeah, I think uh, what I'm most excited about for the Office of the Future as we look at liminal spaces is how they can help uh, normalize people's experiences. You know, how we can all feel part of a community, how we can all feel, you know, there are those times that are, excuse me, where we feel alone, but it's not the first time that somebody's been in that space. You know, you talk about the new employee. We've all been a new employee at some point. We've all been through that first lobby door. So how can we use space to feel normalized? That's why I love the idea you're talking about the stairwells as the opportunity because that's the first point maybe when they're walking up into a building where they could start to feel the culture of a company and it could feel like a positive liminal space and it could be a great way to energize them to come into a company and be ready set in order to just hit the ground running. And especially since something that we are hearing across the board from almost all of our workplace clients is that retaining and attracting talent is a top goal of theirs. And I think the really obvious answer to that is let's deck our space out. Let's make it look great. Let's have all these great amenities. And we agree with that approach. But I think the next step to that is thinking about their experience from start to finish and thinking about these in-between spaces too. Because if you're coming in for a job interview you're not going to forget the way that someone made you feel. You know, we're all familiar with that quote. Um, but I, I really feel that it is what takes um, – it's the difference between a good space and a great space and a good design and a great unforgettable design. And we've all been to those types of spaces, you know, whether it's someplace we've traveled across the world. But, you know, you think of that one space that you've been to that it really hit you and it, it was like – an aha moment for what good design is and certainly they had considered the liminal spaces and held it to the same degree of importance as the destination it's just it's just as important as uh the experience in the story yeah. right you know the one we haven't talked about but i do think is really important too are restrooms interesting such an opportunity to make a statement Right, you can just pick the finishes and do the thing, but um, you know, think about any great restaurant you've been to. You walk into the bathrooms, and when you come back to the table, like you have to check out the restrooms, yeah. <laughs> or don't go into the restrooms. <laughs> right? It's how you judge a restaurant. I 100% agree with it you. It is, and so to just have that really killer, unexpected experience. You know, I'm just hopping in here to go to the bathroom real quick, but you know. It's designing with empathy, too, because you're really considering how your users might be using the space and from multiple perspectives. Um, But it's where you go to give yourself the pep talk, like, okay, I can do this. Or maybe at a restaurant, you're on a bad date and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, should I go back out there? I hate this. Should I run away? You know, but there's something about when you enter into that space that it can make you feel excited. It can, it can, um, feel really moody, maybe kind of preppy, maybe kind of glam. Like there's all these different, I mean, you name 
the behavior or the attitude, but I, I just love that. I think there's so much opportunity in crafting that experience for the people that are in the space. That's so cool. I wouldn't even have thought of that, but you're so right. It can totally shift your mood, your energy. If you, you know, it's great lighting, you feel so much more confident and maybe that really changes the conversations that you have following your restroom experience, which to your point is another example of potentially overlooked space that really has a lot of power and its potential. And I, it's respite. You know, we, Mm -hmm. it's maybe not recognized in that way, but it is a moment of respite for your employees, for your building occupants, whoever. And so I think we really need to recognize that through all aspects of the design. I think it's interesting in preparation for this, I was researching ways to manage your anxiety during times of transition, of course. And one of the big ones is through breath which again is an overlooked thing, right? It seems as simple as a restroom, but it seems like, of course, a given. But a lot of times we forget to breathe, especially breathing properly. And it's really interesting because the deeper you breathe, the more you signal to your central nervous system that you're safe. And the safer you feel, the further you're willing to push yourself forward. So actually, the more you're breathing, the more you're telling your body, I'm safe, I'm good, I can take a risk, right? Which is interesting. Very similarly, you guys are talking about letting a space breathe and, you know, you're Frank Lloyd Wright. And so I think that it is interesting how much there is a connection between the body, behavioral psychology, the central nervous system and the built environment and how much if a space reminds you to breathe, you truly are better transitioning through a period of transition or through anxiety or, or whatever it may be. So I just think it's so, so interesting how the two play together so much more than I think people realize. That's why we have a responsibility as the designers to be aware of these things when we're creating space. It's not just creating a pretty space. It's not just creating a space that looks good. It's about creating space that has meaning and a story and well-intentioned human-centric behavior design elements behind it. And I know you guys are commercial designers, but... I would love to leave our listeners with a little bit of an idea of how they could translate this into their own spaces. So how could they create a liminal space or create those liminal opportunities within their own residential spaces or in a way that would serve them from a daily basis, especially as we're all transitioning, like I said, from possibly the biggest liminal period of our entire lives in history, you know, as we move from life pre-pandemic to post-pandemic. I'm going to knock one right off here. Do it, please. That is, if you have a mudroom in your home, get that ding, organized ding, ding. and Mark's serving hands are in the your air. process. In- <laughs> yeah. Like, if you take off your shoes, get a place for your shoes. If that's where you grab your bag, have your coat hooks for your bags. You know, in our house, it's when we're trying to get out the door, my little guy, he knows he has to grab his lunchbox. And so I created a spot for it right there. And it is liminal. It's transitional. But maybe one of the most stressful parts of the day, getting out the door, any parent can relate to that. And you can't control the meltdown. Um, You can't control the spilled coffee or whatever, but you can set yourself up for success by being organized and having a place for everything and everything in its place. So that would be my number one piece of advice. I think if we were on Family Feud right now, Kelly would have gotten like the top response. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. 71% of respondents said. (laughs) Survey says... Mudroom. Uh, mudroom. Because that's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say mudroom or foyer, and I think that those two are the exact same things. It's the place where you're coming into the house. So what I will say maybe is the garage. Yeah. If you're driving into your house, that garage, anytime you're crossing a threshold, off, very often underlooked, right? Um, maybe you just want to put some positive reinforcement or positive uh, 
Maybe you just want to put some positive messaging in there just to reinforce a moment to pause. You know, a lot of people have that tennis ball hanging in uh, the garage (laughs) that they're driving up to. What if there's another element that could be hanging there that just makes you calm, makes you relax? Maybe create some dappled lighting in there to create, you know, that all those positive things you can do to your body with simple elements. It doesn't have to be anything. It could be paint. You could paint your garage for all that it matters just so it feels bright and vibrant. We landscape our front yard. Mm Mm-hmm. We address our the inside of our home with artwork and shelves, but who thinks about the garage? It's just where you shove your tchotchkes and you've got like your roller skates. Or that and became your, your CrossFit gym when you were in the middle right, of the pandemic, right. and you know it's a space that matters. I agree. What I love is that what you guys are saying is nothing wildly intensive or even necessarily like sexy from a design perspective. It's really functional. And again, from a behavioral psychology perspective, big changes and transitions take a lot of your mental energy and mental capital. So anything you can do in your daily lives to bring a little bit more ease or positive ways to control in simple ways, whether it's that tennis ball so that your car doesn't go or it's putting that lunchbox in its proper place. It actually helps ease your brain. So your brain power can be used in navigating that transition and not used in these simple nuances that add up throughout the day. You know, I think it's interesting because the neural pathways that are built during these big life transitions provide an opportunity to develop new insights about the self and about your perspective it's a huge opportunity. So if you're using that brain capital in just like navigating through your house or getting ready for your day or transitioning to work, you're really kind of cheating yourself from being able to use that big capital in a really meaningful way. Yeah. Don't add stress to your day. No. And it's just every day and over the course of time, I think it's paying attention to what your routines are. Maybe it's not even premeditated or maybe it's not intentionally your routine but you kind of do things the same way every day and I think it's setting up your space to support the way that you live as opposed to the opposite um you know maybe you it takes you five extra minutes to get out the door because you run to your bedroom to get your shoes and then you go out the door but it's like is there a way that your space can better support the way that you want to live as opposed to um the alternative you creating habits around what you've got that could be changed Awesome. Well, I think that leads us to our last question, unfortunately. Um, Hopefully everybody had some fun learning about liminal spaces and got some great ideas for their own personal lives. With the world's expert in liminal spaces. Correct. Expert Kelly Kelly Ike. So Kelly. Add it to my resume. (laughs) Monster.com has now liminal spaces as a skill set. But when we think about liminality and you think about the workplace, which I know is one of your primary roles here, focusing on it, MA, um, what are the things that you're seeing that are going to affect liminal spaces in the next five to 10 years? Well, as everyone is really keyed into right now, it's the whole hybrid work, work from home. Um, The office has a hub and spoke concept. Uh, There are so many opportunities for us to do our work in a variety of types of spaces, you know, the third spaces. But um, I think what that creates is more transition time. I experienced it today, and I was thinking about it before I sat down. I thought, wow, I've done a lot of back and forth between meetings and where I've been working. And in response to that, employees will be spending more time in the transition. And we need to change our thought process of that as downtime 
to that as really meaningful, important time, and especially in an era where we are um, hearing more than ever that employees are experiencing burnout. You know, how can we honor that as respite time? Um, how can we add conveniences? Um, easy to grab lunch if you're on the go or um, a refreshment or whatever it might be. But um, I think that we will be spending, my prediction is that employees will be spending more time in liminal spaces than ever moving forward. I love that. And I couldn't agree more. Me too. So I actually think that's so interesting what you just said about using that as respite time. I know a lot of people have been troubling, have I know a lot of people right now have had a lot of trouble with insomnia and sleep. And I think especially in America, we've come to this place where we're like, I'm going to work through lunch so I can get out of here sooner so I can go on to do the seven other things I have to do after work. And then they finally put their head to the pillow at night and they're like, I should be exhausted and I can't turn my brain off. But it's because you never gave yourself space to digest and process what was happening throughout the day. You were just go, 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 go. And all of a sudden, once you stopped, you know, it's like a car. If you were speeding and you stop your car, it's shaking, you know? And so I think that we need those pauses in between, those periods of liminality built into our day in a way that we don't feel guilty about, but in a way that we know will serve us so we can process and digest as the day progresses, you know, and, and then sleep better at night and, and be more recharged in a real way. Yeah. Maybe you don't check your phone while you're walking. Maybe you're not responding to that G chat and you're just taking a moment. And I understand and I'm, I'm guilty more than anyone. I want to make every moment as productive as possible, but it's a good point, Sam. And I think our spaces can encourage that by being inspiring, healthy spaces. It will inspire employees to make um, healthy choices as well. Well, you heard it here first, people, liminal reward spaces. That's what I'm taking away from this. <laughs> I love it. You know, in that I love the idea that our corridors now reward us by being in them versus being stressed out versus carrying all of our laptops and everything with us. I love that. I hope that everyone listening really got some ideas from an architecture and design perspective about liminality in spaces, but then also how liminality can serve them as we all collectively transition through in different capacities and different levels this liminal period in our lives want to end my talking with a quote because I'm really inspired and I think it's so applicable. I know a lot of people are in a scary place right now. You know, like I said, I've got less than eight weeks until I have my first baby and maybe people are going back to the workplace and they're really anxious and have a lot of social anxiety or maybe people have gotten new jobs during this time or you've just moved or whatever it may be. But I think this is something that speaks to liminality. When you get to the end of all of the light that you know and it's time to step into the darkness of the unknown, faith is knowing that one of two things will happen. Either you will be given something solid to stand on or you will be taught how to fly. So it's this idea that that liminal time, that journey between will lead you to a destination and to just be present, be mindful, be here now as you get to wherever you're going next. Well, that's our show, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Kelly, for being here and for sharing your insights. We really appreciate you bringing your innovation to us and to our podcast. These are the innovations that can help our listeners find inspiration in their own lives to be thinking about how they can create change in their future. We hope to hear more about this new innovation of reward liminal spaces in the days, weeks, and months to come. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at ma-architects.com where we have more discussions like this and the new liminal blog that Kelly just wrote if you want to hear more about that topic. If you want to continue the conversation, feel free to email me directly at markb at ma-architects.com. 
If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can be the first to hear what's coming in terms of innovations and trends from three to five years ahead. If you have any suggestions of things you'd like to hear about, we'd also love to hear more about that from you. Once again, I'm one of your hosts for Make It Innovative, Mark Bryan. And I'm Sam Moeller. I hope you can find the change you want to be to allow innovation to thrive in the way you live. Kelly, thank you so much. Thank you. You're amazing. World expert in liminal spaces. You heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) That's a wrap.